at this point, we're going to, to turn to God's Word, and we're continuing to look at the next passage in Mark's Gospel, which is in uh, chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, if your page numbering is the same as mine, which the few ones certainly are, it's page uh, 1017, 1017. And it's the parable of the tenants. And let's hear God's word. Mark chapter 12, and we're beginning to read at verse 1. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone they builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. And we pray that the Lord would add this blessing uh, from his truth to our hearts. Amen. Just thinking then about what this passage it is really about, from cutting to the chase of it all, uh, it's really the fact, taking on what the, the owner was doing and that he was sending one servant after another, he was uh, trying to get a response from those who were uh, tenant farmers looking after his vineyard and that the owner will go to whatever length is necessary to get the response that he thinks he deserves. And Jesus, in taking this, takes this maybe a little bit further and applying that. And I think the simple message is when God wants to, to speak to us, when God wants to reach out to us, he will go to any length. He will go to the utmost length to be able to get that response, and we understand that. And actually, just thinking about that, there's a little clip uh, I'm going to get you to, to watch just now. If you're into Harry Potter, you will be uh, aware of this, that there's a clip in the first movie, and that, if you'll know from that, that Harry, uh, reaching age 11, is just 
getting ready to go to, to big school, as it were, but he has to get the letter to invite him, and that his uncle Vernon doesn't want to get this letter, so whenever the first letter arrives in the post, his, his uncle burns it and hides the letter, but the headmaster of, of Hogwarts is not content, and he will make sure the message gets across. Main day, Sunday. In my opinion, best day of the week. Why is that, Dudley? Because there's no post on Sundays. Right you are, Harry. No post on Sunday. Ha! No blasted letters today! No, sir! Not one single bloody letter! Not one! No, sir! Not one blasted miserable... Okay, but get the message from, from that. You will, if you're familiar with those movies, you'll know that even though they get up and they move and they go to some tiny little Scottish island or something far away from everywhere else, there is still nothing that they can do ultimately to stop that message uh, getting to Harry. And, I, and as I was suggesting a moment ago, that that can be exactly the same thing whenever God is wanting to, to reach out to us and God is wanting to speak and God is wanting to say something to us. Um, some of you, I'm sure many of you, will be able to testify something of that in your own experience as well, that our natural inclination at times maybe is not to listen to God, is that we don't want to hear what it is that God is saying to us. So we put it out of our minds and we don't want to listen to that. But if God wants to say to us, he can go to extraordinary lengths to get us to listen. And so some of you have said things to me like, whatever has happened in my life, sometimes that can be a very unpleasant experience. It can be a bit of a crisis. But many of you have had the experience that you've said, were it not for this crisis, I wouldn't have been in the place where God was able to speak to me and I heard what it was that God was saying. And so as unpleasant and as difficult as it was, whatever that is, is that God actually used that so that you would be in the place where you were able to listen to what it is that God is saying. As I was suggesting, there can be endless numbers of reasons as to why it is that we don't want to listen to God or what it is specifically that we are not wanting to hear. Perhaps it's a sin in our, in our lives. There's something that we know is not in line with what God wants in our lives. We don't want to listen to what God is saying about that. We, we don't want to hear that. And so we, we simply put it to one side. Maybe God has been challenging you about a, a change of direction and something, some aspect of your life, some, some new thing that, that, that he wants you to be involved in or to go or to do, and you're just not there yet, so you don't want to hear. Maybe even it's that initial 
response to Jesus Christ himself, that, that, that ultimately you know enough about the gospel, that you know that you need to respond to who Jesus is, and that he, he has died for you upon the cross, and that he is calling you to give your life and to, and to be known as a Christian and to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, and yet you're still just not there yet. And so the easiest way to deal with that is just not to listen. And so that thought is, is not new. Uh, that's why ultimately Jesus told this parable. And he told a parable about a group of what we might say farmers, tenant farmers, who didn't want to listen, who didn't want to respond to the owner. And what I want us to do this morning is to use this parable a bit like a magnifying glass whereby we are simply looking at our own lives. So in many ways, it's, it's, it's simple, very straightforward, and to be ready to listen to what it is that God is saying to us, that God, how he might use this picture. It's all about a garden. If you look down to verse 12, even though you say it's a, a relatively simple story, it really got the leaders of the day hot under the collar. Because if you look at verse 12, it says, having heard it all, it says, then the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. And so we wonder what was it about this story that angered these leaders so much? And I think the reason must be is that the, the image that Jesus was using here, this image of this vineyard, this little garden, as it were, was the image, the, the symbol of the nation of Israel itself. So if you're thinking a shamrock for Ireland or a thistle for Scotland or whatever it is, this is the, the national symbol, as it were. So even as Jesus was speaking these words uh, in the temple itself, in the place just before going into the holy place in the temple, there was a, a richly carved vine over the, the, the entrance way. And it was put there by King Herod himself. And, this, and on top of this carved vine, rich Jews of the day were able to come with leaves of gold. And they were able to attach them to, to, the, the, to the carving. And if they had some jewels, they were able to put these jewels in little bunches. And they would be uh, adding to the, the ornamentation, as it were. So this was a richly carved, ornate picture representing the very nation of itself. So that's what Jesus is taking hold of here. And it was a, a strong image representing who the people were themselves. So that's what Jesus is speaking about. But Jesus is speaking here in terms of the owner of the vineyard or the owner of the nation, as it were, God. And he's clearly saying something at the very beginning is that God, the owner, has an expectation. And so he's, he's talking about how the owner looked after this, this garden, this vine. Uh, and he's, he is thinking about the nation of Israel overall. So you're sort of trying to take these, these double ways of, of looking at this. But let's think about using it, first of all, as an image of a farmer looking after the vine that he has uh, looked after. So looking at verse 1, it says that a man planted it 
And the second thing he did, that he built a wall around it. So he's putting a lot of effort into looking after this. He's making sure it's well planted. He's making sure it's protected. The wall is around it so that wild animals, wild boars and the likes can't come and can't wreck it. Then beyond that, it says, is that he dug a pit for a wine press. So that's building something out of solid rock, two huge vats, a higher one and a lower one. The higher one is where the, the grapes would first would have gone, and that's where you trample out the grapes, and then the, the grape juice then flows into the lower one. So the effort has been taken to create these two large vats. And the final thing he says that he did is that he built a tower. Again, a tower 15, maybe 20 feet high, a place of safety for the, for the man looking after the the vine itself, not only giving him shelter, but also a vantage point over which he could look and see what was happening, see any animals coming and with a slingshot take them away. But we've got this idea of someone looking after this vine, this garden. And Jesus, by inference, is saying that's how God has looked after the nation of Israel. He brought them into existence. Think of some of those Old Testament stories, Abraham, and God said to Abraham, you've got to leave the city in which you live, and I want you to step out into the unknown, and I want you to follow me, and through you, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And uh, later on, things, we may say, didn't go the way that they might have expected, and they ended up in slavery, and they're back in Egypt, and yet God still hadn't forgotten about them. He sends them Moses, and Moses is now the deliverer who leads the people out of slavery, and time and time again, We've got this idea that God is the one who has been looking after the nation and he hasn't forgotten about them. He cares for them. He loves them. But we would make the greatest mistake if we thought that this story that Jesus has here is simply left in some dusty history book because what it's really about, what it's really getting at is that here's a people who whilst they had privileges and whilst God had been speaking to them, whilst God had been caring for them, they chose not to listen. That's what this story is really about. So it's about responsibility that's shirked. And I think that speaks to us. Because you think of some of the privileges that we have as a people. We have our Bibles, don't we? We have the Holy Spirit within the church. We have an understanding of what God has done for us time and time again. And yet, so often we choose simply not to listen to God. I'm going to read another verse in the Bible, which is a reminder to be responsible. Because we know that when we have lots, God will expect lots. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. It says, the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten only with few blows. But from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So really, we have no excuse. We have lots, so God will expect much from us. That's, that's the bottom line. But I want to go back to one of the earliest places in the Bible where the image of the nation of Israel as a garden or a vine was first used. And as I read this, 
you can see similarities to the image that Jesus picks up on in Mark chapter 12. But as you read this, I want you to have a sense of the heartache from God's side. The heartache when his people don't respond in the way in which they should because they have received the blessings that God has given. So again, I'm going to go back now to Isaiah chapter 5, and I'm going to read verse 2. Again, it's talking about the gardener, this image about looking at and creating this garden. It says, he dug it up, he cleared it of stones, and he planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut a wine press out as well, and then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Verse 4, what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? And you can sense the disappointment there, can't you, in the heart of God when he's wondering, what more could I have done for, the, for this garden? What more could I have done for this people? And so we've got this sense is that God has expectations about what he expects from us. He, God wants to, to use you. God wants to fill you with his, his Holy Spirit. He has given you these amazing, wonderful blessings. And so he is wanting you to live to the glory of God. And that's a wonderful privilege. But do you not find yourself at times is that you might disappoint God? Because you know that you haven't lived in the way that you, you should have. And that if God were coming looking to you, He's not going to find what he might expect. But that's not the place to leave this story. Because as well as having a hint of God's expectation in this passage, I think what you also see is the reality of God's love. Because if you go back to Luke or Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, and look between verses 2 and verse 5, you see that time and again he sends messenger, servant after servant to come to, to, to the garden and to receive what was due to him, even though the people in the end ignored them. Actually, as Jesus was speaking and, about this and using this image of a tenant farmer uh, refusing to listen to the actual owner of the vineyard who was expecting some produce in return for having rented out his own land, Jesus was using stories that were in the news because this was happening in the day-to-day -day living of the people. There were lots of stories of tenant farmers who were abusing their position and not giving to the owner what was rightfully his. And so Jesus was living out the news, as it were. But again, what you've got to see is what Jesus was really getting at was the fact that God had looked after the nation. And the nation weren't listening to him. And so God was sending literally prophet after prophet. But the people ignored God. And you can think of some of the prophets. Think of Elijah. And you can remember what happened to Elijah Well, in 1 Kings chapter 19. He was depressed and stuck out under a bush, thinking he was the only one left and that there was nobody who was listening to him. You've got prophets like Isaiah. And tradition would say is that 
Uh, Isaiah was literally cut in two, sawn in half by the people of, of Israel. Zechariah the prophet, tradition says that he was stoned to death. Then we come into the New Testament, and you can think of the last of the, of the prophets, John the Baptist. And what happened to John the Baptist is that the people again didn't want to listen to him, and, king, and uh, the king, King Herod, chopped his head off. So God wants to get his message across, but the people don't listen. And what Jesus even does in this story is that he puts himself into the image. Because look with me at verse 6. And as you read verse 6, you cannot but sense Jesus talking about himself. He's talking here about the owner, and he says he had one son left. He had one left to send a son whom he loved. And he sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. And it's even more significant is that Jesus spoke these words three days before he would be before the Jewish authorities, three days before they would condemn him to death and to put him upon a cross. And the bottom line of this story is that here were a few farmers who didn't own the, the, the farm itself but they wanted to own it and they were fed up not being in control and fed up having to listen to the owner as it were and the best thing to do was be just to get rid of the owner. And that desire is to be in control, which I think is a natural human reaction. We want to be in control and we don't like having to listen to other people and put it in its furthest degree as it were we don't want to listen to what God says because we want to rule our lives ourselves and we don't want to have to put our lives under the authority of Scripture. We want to be in charge. We want to decide what we want to do and we hate not being in control. And that's why some people will never become Christians because they want to be in control of their own lives and they don't want to listen to what God is saying. So that desire to be in control is a human reaction. At this point, I want Connor to close his ears because this was the first time Connor expressed the desire to have a dog. Or maybe it was a baby brother, but he was three years old. And he came to me and he says, I want someone to boss. And then he articulated it, and I don't know where he got this bit from, but he says, I'm the boss of Nora. And he says, Nora is the boss of Bethany, and Bethany is the boss of Megan, and Megan is the boss of me. But I am the boss of nobody. <laughs> and that is that human reaction, isn't it? We want to be in control. And ultimately, we want rid of God because we feel that God restricts us. And we don't want to listen to what it is that God is saying. And Jesus is saying here, listen to what God is saying. No matter how it's pushing you, listen to what that is. And ultimately, there is an end to God's patience. I mean, look down to, to verse 9. And, and there's a hint that God's patience will end. Verse 9 says, What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and he will kill those tenants. And he will give the vineyard to others. And so there is this sense that we need to alert ourselves and listen to God. But in the meantime, this passage is reminding us that God does go to endless lengths to get us to listen.
and that God speaks to us even today. Actually, there's a, a little quotation from C.H. Spurgeon just up there, and it reminds us of the lengths to which God in Jesus has really gone to speak to us in spite of our rebellion, in spite of the fact that we do not listen to God and don't want to listen to God. But it, Spurgeon reminds us that if you reject him, he answers you with tears. If you wound him, he bleeds out cleansing. If you kill him, he dies to redeem. If you bury him, he rises again to bring resurrection. Jesus is love made manifest. And that is God's message of love to each of us today. It's an, in our sinfulness, we try and shut God out and we don't want to listen. But in Jesus, God is made real. And he died for us on the cross to express the level and extent of that love. And that is the basic message of the gospel, which is presented to us in Jesus today, which begs us the question, will you surrender to that? Will you obey that? Will you follow what God has placed in front of you in Jesus, understanding the lengths to which God has gone to speak to you? And maybe just devotionally for all of us just to think to ourselves, what is it today? What is it that God has been speaking to you about He's been going to endless lengths and he has brought some change, difference into your life, into your situation. And you have been thinking and you've been wondering, what is God actually speaking to me about? And even more significantly, will I listen to what it is that God is saying? So that maybe even like, as we remember Samuel, the prophet, back in back when he was but a boy and he was saying to God, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Let's just pause quietly in prayer just as we make our, our own response to that. Let's, let's pray. Lord, simply, may we be ready to listen. Lord, make yourself clear to us. Make your word clear. Speak to our hearts. We want to hear, but give us, Lord, the grace to respond, particularly when we find it difficult, when we find it challenging. But make yourself clear, Lord. Amen.